0: Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Today we will talk about the good angels. Welcome to the Doctrine for Doxology Podcast. If you want to email me, you can do so at doctrine four that's the number four doxology at gmail.com, and then I'm on Instagram at the real Bear Martin. So today we're talking about the angels. The first thing I want to mention here is that the word that's the that's translated into angels in English, the Hebrew word, so the Hebrew would be in the Old Testament that word can also mean just a human messenger in fact the when we when we read angels in the Bible, um, both the Hebrew word and the Greek word that is used, it, it can also sometimes mean a human messenger. So the, the root of the word would be a messenger or, or someone that is sent, okay? Uh, J, uh, Genesis thirty two three says this, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So these are human messengers. But that Hebrew word there for messenger is the same Hebrew word that sometimes means angels these angelic beings so it's just i just want to make you aware of that the greek word is angelos and in Matthew 11:10 this is clearly talking about a human messenger jesus says this is he of whom it is written behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you and jesus here is talking about john the baptist okay so sometimes in the bible the, the word messenger the the root word or the the original language word behind that is the same word that sometimes is translated angel now most of the time the context will let you know if it's if this is really a human messenger or or an angel, you know, part of the angelic realm of beings. So most of the time, the context is pretty clear. There are some verses where there's some discrepancy, and so different Bible translators uh, or interpreters would disagree on on how to best translate that. So I just want to Get that out there. Um, also, a few as we talk about angels, a few rabbit trails that I am avoiding in today's episode. Uh, one would be this discussion of who is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. There are several passages where the angel, not an angel, but the like the specific angel of the Lord, uh, is speaking with someone, and and the way that that angel speaks, and the way that the the people are talking back. To that angel, it's as if they're talking to the Lord Himself. And so many people believe that this angel of the Lord, this specific angel of the Lord, is the pre incarnate Jesus Christ. Okay? And so that's a very fascinating Bible study in and of itself, but I'm not just talking about that today. Also, uh, this may come up more next week as we talk about Satan and demons. But I'm not getting into who are the sons of God. In Job one six, it says, "Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them." And so that's that's also an interesting Bible study in and of itself. And and quite honestly, we just don't have time to get into all of those um, all of those details. Okay. So for today, when we talk about angels, I'm not talking about human messengers, uh, and I'm not even really talking about Satan and demons, although I'll have to mention those a couple times. I'm talking about the good angels, all right? The Lexham Survey of Theology defines angels this way. Angels are intelligent, moral, and spiritual beings created by God who worship Him and carry out His will. And we'll certainly cover lots of these topics today throughout the episode, but there are two basic points to my outline. First would be the nature and and character of angels and some things about how we can classify the different types of angels. So that will be like a big, you know, point one. And then the second part would be, what do the angels do? And so that'll be sort of a survey of Scripture and, and some different activities that the angels are involved in. So that's the main outline for today's episode. So first off, the nature and character of angels. Angels are created beings. In Colossians 1 the Bible says, for by him, this is talking about Jesus, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, you you may be thinking where are angels listed in that verse? Well, what we're going to discuss later on is that these thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities are angelic and demonic realms, okay? And so I'll I'll be able to show you that in scripture later on. But for right now, I'm just establishing that angels are created beings and all things were created by God. Okay, so as far as where angels line up in the hierarchy of all beings, obviously they are below God. God is above the angels. God is the only being that is eternal. Um, God has never been—God was never created. He has always existed. The angels, at some point in time, were created by God. So they are They are just by that very distinction of the a, a created being versus the creator of all things, the angels are below God. In Hebrews 1, 5 through 7, it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, or he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So here in Hebrews 1, it is very clear over and over again that God is above the angels, not only God, but the son of God. Okay, so Jesus Christ is above the angels. So that's uh, Hebrews 1, and there's there's plenty of, of material there to establish that fact. So angels are below God, but they are above man. Okay, Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5 say, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. In Hebrews 2, 9, it says, it's talking about Jesus again, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. So this is a a quotation from Psalm 8, which I just read who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, this is a bit of a wordy sentence, but... I would ask the question, why was Jesus, What what is the evidence that the writer of Hebrews is giving us here that Jesus was for a little while made lower than the angels? The reason that he gives is because of the suffering of death, okay? So men die, angels do not, and so men are below angels in that respect. So it's because of the suffering of death. That is like the evidence that the writer of Hebrews gives for Jesus being made lower than the angels. He died, okay? Angels are immortal. Luke 20, verses 34 through 36 say this, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. "...for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels, and are the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection." So angels are immortal. They were created, they're created beings, but in eternity future, they they never die. Angels have been, the same amount of angels have been present from the time of their creation, so they're not married or given in marriage, they're not reproducing in any way, they but they have existed from the time of their creation they they cannot die okay we can you could argue that we are immortal in in the in the sense that our spirits will will live on and then because of the resurrection we will live eternally but our bodies do physically die angels do not now that leads me to the next point. Angels are spiritual beings, and there is there's much debate as to how we think about the bodies of angels. So some scholars would say that angels are completely spirit beings, that they do not have any sort of body. Others believe that angels have an airy or fiery body I've already quoted hebrews one seven of the angels he says he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire and certainly throughout scripture we have descriptions of angels with wings with various faces with with eyes covering their whole body. Uh, sometimes these descriptions are simply visions and they're and they're they're symbolic but other times they could very likely be an actual description of these creatures, okay? So what is clear from Scripture is that the angels are sometimes seen in a physical way by humans, but many times they are hidden from our physical sight. And they can also, angels can also manifest themselves as humans. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. One example of this in Scripture, three angels show up, actually three men show up and visit Abraham. But Abraham clearly treats these three men as something special. This is a special encounter. And we later find out that, that two of them are angels because they are the angels appear, who appear like men who go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they stay with Lot. And these are the two men that uh, that the, the other men in the city want to come in and rape. Okay. And, the, and so they're staying in Lot's house but they're tr- they they look like men but truly they are angels. What's interesting here about this passage is that there's originally 3 men who appear to Abraham. 2 of them leave and those are the ones who go to Sodom and Gomorrah. But it says that Abraham stood before the Lord. So it's the the way the passage reads. It's as one of these uh, these men is actually the Lord that's standing before Abraham. And this is where you have the discussion where the Lord tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham is is kind of negotiating with the Lord and says, "If you find fifty righteous people, will will you save the city?" And the Lord says, "Yes." And but there's not fifty, and so he says, "What about uh, Abraham?" Says, says, what about 40? What about 30? And they, they walk all the way down. And so the, that encounter there, the Bible speaks of that as, as if Abraham is speaking directly to the Lord. A little bit later in Genesis 19, when the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it says that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. So some very strange language there, and this gets into that discussion that I said I was going to avoid uh, about the angel of the Lord and and some some things there. So uh, anyway, that's just to whet your appetite, but certainly angels can appear as men now what kind of body do angels have if they have any kind of body at all well it's the the most basic thing we can say is that angels have a spiritual body their bodies are not they they don't have the limitations that our physical bodies do. Jesus was talking to a man who was demon possessed. He was actually Jesus was actually talking to the demons who were possessing him. Jesus says, "What is your name?" and the demons say, "Our name is or my name is legion for we are many." So so there's many demons that are possessing this man, and then Jesus sends them out into the swine. And so they're, it's, they're not limited. Angels' bodies are not limited to space like our physical bodies are. Um, so if they have a body, it, it's a spiritual body. It's something that we're not going to quite be able to understand. Uh, but one thing that I do want to make clear, because we've talked about in the in previous episodes, that God is spirit. And because God is pure spirit. He is not limited in any kind of physical way, and because God is spirit, he is fully present everywhere at all times. Well, if we say that angels are spirits, we we have to acknowledge that angels are not omnipresent like God is. So they if if we say they're purely spirit, they don't have any kind of body, we have to sort of Put it in a different category of being a different spirit than the way God is spirit, because angels are constricted to one location and time. They are they are not omnipresent like God. So uh, hopefully that's vague enough to um, to cover the the broad category of kind of what the very little that the Bible tells us about the specific uh, angels' bodies. Okay, so. The next thing I want to cover is that angels are intelligent beings. Okay? They're they're not they're not impersonal forces. Angels are intelligent personal beings. Angels have the capacity to think and to reason. Sometimes we we don't we don't ponder that Fact that angels are still learning things angels are are watching us we're going to get into that later, but angels are intelligent beings they're they're learning they're they're reasoning out things like that, and so uh, let me give you one example first Peter. One twelve says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now it, it's it's not that angels can't look at it, but they they long to they're they're mesmerized. Angels are are caught up in. Uh, in looking on the salvation of human beings the way that they remember they they stand in the presence of god angels know god in a more real way than we know god in in our human condition and so they see the way that god deals with us and they are they are mesmerized by that they they long to look into those things Angels know more about the grace of God in seeing how He deals with us, how how He is so gracious to us, and so angels long to look in these things. Uh, we had a great discussion of, uh, on this topic in our small group class on Sunday, because angels have no. There's as far as we're we're made known, there's no redemption for the angels. Okay, so you have God creates the angels, Satan and some of the demons that they fell with him. There's no redemption for Satan and the demons. They are cursed forever. God is not trying to redeem them, okay? So for humans, we fell and God is redeeming us. He he shows his grace, he displays his grace in that way. And so angels are captivated by this, the way that, that God is saving us. So they're intelligent beings. They're thinking through these things. They're learning. They're also moral beings. Angels have moral natures. They are under moral obligations. So they are rewarded for obedience, and they are punished for disobedience. Angels are also vast in number. Revelation five eleven says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Because this is the Christmas season, I uh copied and pasted the old King James version Luke 2 13 through 14 this you'll you'll know this if you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and so there is a multitude of heavenly host so now, how do we categorize these, these groups of angels or different categories of angels? The first thing I'll bring up is the archangels, okay? What what exactly is an archangel? Are Is there just one? Are there many? So 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there, there is this category of archangel, but the only archangel we are specifically given a name for, the only The only angel we know for certain is considered an archangel is Michael. Jude 9 says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So again, Michael is the only angel that is called an archangel. And here in Jude 9, it has an article with it. But when the archangel Michael. So some people interpret this to, to mean that Michael is the only archangel. There is only one, and, and that is Michael. Others just say that this is saying a, a one of the archangels, Michael. Okay. Now again, Michael's the only one in scripture that's called an archangel. Gabriel is never referred to as an archangel, although some people kind of put Gabriel in that category. Neither is Lucifer or or Satan. He's not he's never called an archangel. So, in Daniel chapters 10 and 12, Jude 9 and Revelation 12:7 Michael is mentioned. Those are the times that Michael specifically is mentioned in the Bible. One of those times is Daniel 10:13. And so, let me just make sure we're clear on the context here. In Daniel 10, this is an angel speaking with Daniel, and this angel is going to tell Daniel about Michael, okay? So he says, "The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me." 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So the king of Persia is withholding this angel talking to Daniel and Michael comes to help and Michael is one of the chief princes is what the Bible says. Now, if you if you equate chief prince with archangel, then this verse would be telling us that there are several, at least more than one archangels. If they're called the chief princes, okay, and so that's that's some of the ways that people will uh, will either justify a belief that there's only one archangel and that's Michael, or that there are multiple archangels. Okay, there's also a a belief that Michael is Jesus actually. This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. It's a, it's a bit more complicated than just Michael is Jesus. Um but, but this is a a basic way of describing what they believe. Now, let me just be clear. I do not believe that Michael is Jesus. Um I I possibly will do a later episode. There's a few weeks around Christmas where we don't have life groups and this may be like a fun little extra bonus episode or something. Uh, to research and and do some more on, but let me just tell you this: if you were not very familiar with your Bible, and a jehovah's witness came to your door and you asked about this there's enough verses there's enough there in the Bible where if you're if you're not solid on on your biblical understanding, you could be persuaded that Michael is Jesus, and so sometimes if you grow up. In a, you know a Christian home, and you've been going to church your whole life, and you're just kind of taught all the the things that that Christians affirm. Then when you hear that Michael is Jesus, you just like laugh it off, like you know that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I'm telling you, if you if you look at some of the verses, and you you have someone that knows how to explain it and how to kind of You know, emphasize the right parts. It there are, I can see how people believe that. So it's not that they're just stupid. Um, It's not just just absolute ignorance. Um, It's just you've you've got to have a a proper understanding of the Bible in order to be able to to defend that. So uh, hopefully, I can do an episode about this later on. So anyway, enough about archangels. The next category that I want to discuss would be the cherubim. Now, the cherubim are most often associated with sacred places. So the cherubim are the ones who God puts to guard the Garden of Eden and prevents Adam and Eve from entering back in after they fall. And so there's a a flashing sword that is kind of jutting back and forth and these cherubim and again that that prevents them from entering back in the garden of eden. Also cherubim cover the ark of the covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark or if you've ever looked at a representation of what the ark of the covenant would have looked like, it has the angels with their wings stretched out over the ark. And that those are cherubim, the cherubim also are, are woven into or were woven into the curtains of the tabernacle. and so cherubim are, are associated with these these sacred places it, it seems throughout scripture. and that's all I have to say about that just to quote Forrest Gump there. Okay, the next category of angels are the seraphim. Now, the seraphim are seen by Isaiah in Isaiah 6. This is such a rich passage of scripture. So there's so many things happening in Isaiah 6. You could you could spend a lot of time there in a Bible study. So if you don't if you if you want to study the Bible, you don't know what to study and you need something for tomorrow, open your bible and and start studying isaiah chapter 6 but anyway in verse 2 it says above him stood this is th- above him this is a isaiah is seeing the lord seated on his throne and the gospel of john tells us that isaiah is actually seeing jesus sitting on his throne so it says above him that is jesus on the throne stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face and two he covered his feet and with two he flew. Now, seraphim means burning ones or fiery ones. And in that word, the there's an association with fire and burning, but also a serpent. So the Hebrew word for snake or serpent and, and seraphim here are related in a way. And so this, as I was studying this word seraphim, uh, that came up a lot. There was one resource I had just went on and on and on about uh, different serpents and, and snakes and things like that. Anyway, uh, this this fire, this burning ones could be related to the venom of a serpent bite, the burning that comes from that, but also just a description of a serpent's shiny scales. And so uh, this, nevertheless, this seraphim means burning ones. Now, what's interesting is that one of these burning ones, these seraphim, when Isaiah sees this uh, sees the Lord seated on his throne, Isaiah says, "Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people uh, of unclean lips the One of the seraphim takes a coal from the altar and touches it to Isaiah's lips." And says it's in Isaiah six verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips; your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for." So in this passage, at least the the seraphim, these burning ones, they they stand in the holy presence of God. They are proclaiming. God is holy, holy, holy. The the whole earth is full of his glory. And so they are proclaiming this around the throne room of the Lord. And it's as if the seraphim are very much concerned with the holiness of God. They they purify one of the seraphim takes the coal and and purifies Isaiah's lips so they they are they're very much concerned and they proclaim the holiness of God now are the seraphim just a, another word for angel and it's just this type of description or is it a specific type of angel a, a specific type of creature we don't know and certainly there's lots of of room for speculation and and things like that but i enjoyed studying this passage and and thinking about what the seraphim could be like and and possibly what they are, if there is a specific purpose that they have. Now, my conclusion on the types of angels, these different categories, there may be a, a hierarchy to the angel order where you have archangels who are, are ruling over other angels. Certainly, Satan is a leader over other demons. There may also be different types of creatures, such as the seraphim and the, the cherubim, who make up a more general category of angels. So lots of different things to to ponder there. Now, there are two special angels in Scripture. I, I say special just because we're given their specific name, and I've already mentioned both of these previously, Michael and Gabriel. Now, we've talked some about Michael already, but Gabriel is mentioned in Daniel 8 and 9, And these are—Gabriel is giving Daniel a message, and then also in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel is the angel who speaks to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and also to Mary— in Luke 1, 19, it says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So Gabriel acts as like a royal messenger of God. I think about Gabriel is is standing just beside God's throne room, and he is he is dispatched with very important news. It seems that Gabriel is is responsible for relaying important messages from God, specifically, seemingly, all about the coming of the Messiah. So Gabriel has a special task, and so that's that covers him. Now, back to this idea. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to talk about the principalities, rulers and authorities as actually being words that that Paul uses to talk about angels. So Michael is called the the one of the chief princes that was Daniel 10:13. He's also later called the prince of Israel and that he is fighting for Israel. And so in Daniel chapter 10, again we're told that the that one angel is being held up by the prince of Persia for twenty-one days, and then Michael, one of the chief princes, comes to help. Now, these kings and and princes here, the, like the prince of Persia, it's clear from the context that this is not talking about a physical human king. This is talking about a demonic prince of Persia. And so Michael, one of the chief princes of the good angels, comes in to help in this battle. He's he's fighting against this prince of Persia. In Ephesians two one and two, it says, "And you were dead, and your trespasses and sins, in which you in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience." So this prince of the power of air of the air is talking about Satan. In Ephesians 3, 8-10, through 10, Paul writes, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places so these this these two words rulers and authorities and then in the previous verse that i mentioned ephesians 2 satan is the prince of the power of air so these principalities these rulers these authorities this is paul paul uses these words to talk about angelic and demonic leaders, so to speak, okay? Right in the middle of the armor of God passage in Ephesians 6, it says this, Ephesians six eleven through 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against who? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So again, we have uh, contrasted against flesh and blood, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers and authorities against cosmic powers. So these these rulers and authorities this is Paul's way of of talking about the angelic and demonic realms. All right, certainly we're not wrestling against uh, the the angels and so in in this context he's talking about the demons. Now, that kind of wraps up what I wanted to say about like who are the angels? How do we categorize them? Different things like that, and and I realize that a lot of this is pretty superficial and kind of vague because uh, Scripture gives. There's a lot in Scripture about angels, but a lot of it is uh, is simply describing the story. Okay, so Gabriel comes and gives a message, but we don't have a lot of teaching on specifically the the roles of gabriel a lot of this is just kind of implied by what's going on uh similarly we we have to ask this question what do the good angels do and so this will, there'll be several things that I'll mention here the good angels see the face of god they behold the face of god matthew 18:10 says see that you do not despise one of these little ones for i tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven so that's jesus there talking to his disciples so the angels see the face of god they always see the face of my father who is in heaven is is what jesus said Martin Lloyd-Jones, in commenting on this verse, he said, quote, Now there is no doubt but that the meaning of this term, beholding the face, is that they are watching, as it were, for some indication of his will and his pleasure. They are servants and they are waiting. They are looking at him. They are not lazy. They do not need to be roused. They are always looking for the slightest indication of the will of God. They do always behold the face of my Father, is what Jesus said. We must. Start Start with that. As we come to consider what they—that is, the angels—do, let us remember that they are anxious to do this great work, like dogs on the leash, as it were, waiting to be let loose, let loose, in order to do it. Quote. I thought that was a great way of talking about the angels. You They are, they are attentive all of their focus is on doing the will of god they're never lazy they never get bored that that is their intention and they can't wait to do it. it it's kind of like he says like a dog on the le- the leash i think about like a hunting dog that's just that's sitting and obeying but you can tell that they it, as soon as their master gives them the word they are going to take off sprinting and so that's that's the way the the angels are beholding the face of god they are ready to do his will Also, the angels adore God and the Lamb, that is, the Son of God. In Isaiah 6, I've already talked about this, but the seraphim say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they're proclaiming this over and over again. They adore God's holiness. In Revelation 5, 11 through 13, we, we already read this verse as well, talking about the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. And they say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So the angels adore God and the Lamb. They marvel at our salvation. I spoke about this earlier, that they uh, they long to look into the way that God saves us. They learn about the grace of God by seeing how he is gracious to us. In Ephesians 3.10, it says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly Places and so the the angels can can see the wisdom of God on display as they observe god's church here on earth, and just as they watch how god is is gracious to us and how God saves us, they also watch us in first corinthians eleven ten it says that this is right in the middle of paul's discussion on head coverings for women now. I am not you talk about rabbit trails I'm not getting into a discussion on head coverings here but what is very clear from this passage is that Paul is making an argument about authority that God has has put in order that men have authority over women in the church and and so he's talking about women that are praying in church with their head uncovered there's lots of different godly men and women who uh, who interpret and apply this passage in different ways, so that I do not intend to to get into that. But it, Paul says this: that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. So this is certainly a mysterious little phrase here, because of the angels. Uh, let me give you a, another verse here. That's First Corinthians eleven 10. 1 Corinthians four nine says: For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles. As last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. And so, what's clear here in both of these passages is that angels are watching over us uh, they they certainly protect us i'm going to get into that in just a minute but they are they are simply observing and learning and watching and so paul says in in 1st corinthians 11 talking about the head coverings he says this w- when you come together to worship this is how worship is to be conducted, and you need to do so. One of the reasons is because of the angels. As if the angels are there present in the church as the church worships corporately, the angels are present. Um, and and the same thing here. Paul talking about himself as an apostle, and all of the suffering that the apostles went through. They have become a spectacle to the angels, is to the world, to the angels, and to men. In First Timothy five nineteen through twenty one, it. Paul is is admonishing Timothy on, on basically how to run the church. Okay, these are these first Timothy is part of the pastoral epistles. And so Paul says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So this is talking about someone um, charging an elder of the church with wrongdoing. He says, don't let it be so on just one person. That it has to be in the, with the evidence of two or three witnesses. And also for people that are persisting in sin, you are to rebuke them publicly. And, and then he mentions that it's in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. So angels have been present since the dawn of creation. They, they are created beings, and so since God created them, again, they do not physically die. So they have seen the accounts of human history unfold, and they learn about God by watching us and, and the way that God deals with us. Now, also, angels are instruments of God's will. God's law was given to the children of Israel through the mediation of angels. hebrews two two speaks of this for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable also in galatians three nineteen talking about the giving of the law again, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Also, Stephen, just before he is stoned to death, condemns the Jewish leaders for not keeping the law of God that was delivered to them by angels. Stephen says in Acts 7.53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it so angels are are instruments for god they they have delivered the law to man Re, they angels also reveal god's purposes certainly we talked about gabriel revealing prophecy to Daniel, also to Zechariah, and to Mary about the coming of John the Baptist and the Messiah. Cornelius, a centurion who feared God, in Acts 10.3, it says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and then the angel, of course, tells Cornelius, what to do? Angels are also ministering spirits in Hebrews one thirteen and fourteen. And to which of the angels has he ever said, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet"? Are they, meaning the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In Matthew four ten and eleven. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve." Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So the angels take care of us. they also took care of Jesus Christ after that he was tempted by Satan in the desert. When we think about angels ministering to people, I was listening to a lecture on angels by RC Sproul, and he he started it out. He opened it up with this ver this story. He referenced a a story that of a mine that collapsed. And they so they didn't know if there were any survivors, and they they hammered or drilled a really, really long metal rod down into where the mine had collapsed, and there was tapping on the rod. And so they uh, they assumed that, okay, there's men down there, they've survived. So they start digging. It was uh, two weeks or more, a, a big process, and eventually the tapping stopped. And so they were going to quit, quit the digging, but the owner of the mine said, no, keep digging. And so when they finally got down there, they actually discovered, and I don't know how many miners were originally down there, but two of the men were in perfectly good health. And so RC Sproul's telling the story, and and so the he said on the on the newspaper, it said that these men were saved by a miracle. And he remembered that the the actual word miracle was in the big headline for the newspaper. But he said, as you started reading the article, just a few paragraphs down. It said that the men hallucinated because they were saying that angels came and took care of them while they were trapped in this mine. And so he thought it was funny that they they said it was a miracle and then almost immediately claimed that it was a hallucination. Now, that is so American. and, And honest. if I'm being honest with myself... That is how I would think about things too. If I had, you know, if I talked with somebody and they told me they were in a, a mine and it collapsed and angels came and took care of them until other people got there, as much as I believe the Bible, as as you know, as as much as I would like to say that I am fully aware of all the the angels that are that are around us and everything i i I have such a skeptical mind, and that is just how we are in the twenty first century and so we we often want to just pawn it off as oh, that was a hallucination or you know whatever we we don't take these things serious, but there is an angelic realm and uh and angels do care for people and and God is still using angels today now, where people go off the rocker is when they neglect reading God's word that he has given us and they just constantly want visions from angels to tell them what to do. God's word, God tells us what to do in his word. And so we we talked about this with with God desiring, God's will for our life is not that we have a message from an angel about how to handle every single situation. It is that we study His Word, and we obey what He has told us in His Word, and we trust the plans to God. So that's just a a little side note there. Um, Now, Back to angels being ministering spirits. Paul was in the midst of a storm on a battered ship. It was not looking good. So hope of survival was was fleeting. And in Acts 27, verses 22 through 25... told. So this, in a very, very difficult time, this angel comes to Paul with a message of encouragement. Angels also protect us. In Psalm 91 verses 10 and 11, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Daniel in the lion's den says in Daniel six twenty two, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I have found, I have, I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Elisha and his servant are protected by the angels. I love this story. The king of Syria was at war with Israel, so he was trying to conquer Israel, but Elisha, the prophet of God, would warn Israel about what the king of Syria was going to do and was constantly spoiling the war tactics of the king of Syria, okay? So so Elisha is like able to predict the king of Syria's moves, and Israel constantly evades the king of syria's attacks. And so this is a this is a quite comical uh, part of the bible to me. 2 Kings ver uh, chapter 6 verse 11 and 12 and the mind of the king of syria was greatly troubled because of this thing that that being that he that israel just seemed to know what he was going to do. And he called his servants and said to them, "'Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel?' So basically he's thinking that he has a traitor in the camp that is relaying his plans to Israel. And one of his servants said, "'None.'" We there There are no traitors, okay? He says, "'None, my lord, O king, "'but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel,' tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So I love that line. You know, one of the the advisors of the king of Syria is like, this Elisha God knows what you're whispering in your bedroom. He knows everything about us. All right? So the king of Syria finds out that Elisha is in the city of Dothan and so he he sends an army to surround Dothan and kill Elisha. Uh, in the morning, the servant of Elisha wakes up and is terrified by this surrounding army. And then in Second Kings Uh, chapter six, verses 16 and 17, Elisha says this, "'Do not be afraid, for those who are with us "'are more than those who are with them. "'Then Elisha prayed and said, "'O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. "'So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, "'that is Elisha's servant, and he saw, "'and behold, the mountain was full of horses "'and chariots of fire.'" all around Elisha. So Elisha has this angelic army that is surrounding and protecting him from the king of, of Syria's army. So certainly the angels protect us. In Acts 12, Herod had recently killed James, the brother of John, to the delight of the Jewish leadership. And Peter was also captured, and Herod was planning to kill him that, that same night and an angel wakes up peter I, f- I think it's funny that peter is sleeping in prison when he's about to be uh, killed but it, P- the angel wakes up peter and guides him out of the prison to safety that you know the gates just sort of open almost like doors at target you know as they're approaching the gates just open and and peter is is led out and uh, led to safety angels also guide us. So in Acts 8.26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now this this guidance by the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord for Philip, it led to the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I love this story as well. It perfectly displays the providence of God. Here's an Ethiopian dignitary who is curious about the God of the Jews. He came to Jerusalem to worship, and now he is returning, and he's reading his Bible. And as Philip approaches, he asks—and and I said he's reading his Bible. He's reading the Old Testament, okay? And as Philip approaches, he asks Philip, what does Isaiah 53 mean? So he's, he's reading Isaiah 53. And this is, this is the perfect passage about Jesus. And so in Acts eight thirty five, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So this Ethiopian eunuch was in the absolute perfect part of the Bible to learn of the truth of Jesus Christ. And the angel is the one who sent Philip that way. Angels also execute God's judgments. remember Herod who was going to kill Peter, the angel of the, the that led Peter out of the prison, and just a few verses later, we read this story in acts twelve twenty one through twenty three on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, that is, struck Herod down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So, the angel of the Lord carries out God's judgment. We see this also in the parable of the wheat and the tares. So, Jesus told a parable of a man who was sowing good seed in his field, but at night his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Okay? So you have good wheat growing, and but also weeds growing among them. This is sometimes called the parable of the wheat and the tares. So Jesus explains this parable in Matthew 13, verses 37 through 43. Jesus answered, "'The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world.'" And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels." Let him hear. So the angels will go in and and execute the judgment of God. We also, th- this is also told to us in several other places in the Bible. Another one would be Matthew twenty four. through then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So the angels are involved in in, the, in executing the judgments of God. And lastly here, the angels will usher the elect into glory. If you are saved, the angels will usher you into glory. The story of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus tells this. This is in Luke 16, verse 22. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So here, the the poor man is carried by the angels into paradise. The rich man died. He's he's not cared for. It says he was died and buried. So there's a direct contrast here to what happens to these two men. One died and was carried by the angels. The other one died and was buried. Now, in conclusion, angels certainly were created to glorify God and to serve him, but God also uses the angels to care for his people. They are ministering spirits to care for those who are to inherit salvation, as Hebrews 1.14 said at the very beginning of this podcast. Now, we certainly do not want to spend so much time dwelling on the angels and demons that we forsake the Lord, but we must also live knowing that there are spiritual battles happening around us. We, again, like Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities in this present darkness. So in the, in the 21st century American mindset, we, we so often neglect this spiritual realm. Now, to close out here, a verse in Revelation 22, 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. This is right at the close of of Revelation, and, and John, who was writing it, says this. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God.